0: Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready. Get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. It's Friday. Hobby hustle is on the way. This is my favorite time of the week, sharing these conversations with all of you. And I've gotten feedback recently. It is your favorite time. A lot of you out there are really enjoying these conversations. You know, my strategy is invite people on the show that I can learn from. And in turn, you, the Stacking Slabs family, can learn from too. And that's what we got going. Got a repeat guest today. And the reason why I'm bringing him back on is because he's full of knowledge and he's got Good takes and good information that I approve of. I learn from him regularly. To Josh, Cardboard Chronicles and Card Ladder on the Hobby Hustle today. I wanted to dig in and talk a little bit about um, his new LeBron exquisite purchase. And it's just for me, he did the unveil. And it really got me to think about consolidation and how He got that card and the process that he went through to obtain a big card like that. So we talk a lot about just his process and how he thinks about the moves he makes when he's buying a big card like that. We talk about the NBA hype that's going on, a lot of ground covered. This is one that I know you'll learn from. So definitely get out the note app on your iPhone or if you're old school, get that pen and paper out. You're going to want to take some notes. Without further ado, thanks for being here. Let's kick it to the conversation. All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Hobby Hustle. Got a repeat guest here today, someone who you all know well. I was thinking about this um, the last time I had our guest on the show, who's Josh with Cardboard Chronicles and Card Ladder. Um, I think LeBron had just won his fourth. Um, the NFL hadn't started yet. Um, and we've got you know a new president-elect. Um, the market has pulled back and now is wild again. Uh, one of the guests uh, you've had on your show is now bought one of the biggest uh, companies in the sports card market. So a lot can happen in a few uh, months. Uh, but without further ado, how are you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I can't complain. I'm just trying to keep up. It seems like Every week there's a new splash, whether it's a new card sale or a new uh new uh story in the hobby that kind of gets us all shook.
1: Yeah, I feel like all that crazy stuff you just said, the hobby itself has still kind of been like steady as she goes. Like, you know, like the actual the whole the hobby as a whole, people still coming in, we're still seeing price increases and dips across different markets, and it seems to be pretty consistent, even though we've had all this insane stuff happening.
0: Definitely. And I, I I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I know everyone's been talking about it, but I actually went back and watched your conversation on Cardboard Chronicles with Nat um, just because I was like, I had been following him and I had watched the conversation a long time ago. And first of all, his collection is just, it is as outrageous as outrageous can be when he's pulling out his box of LeBron rookie nine fives I mean, yeah. uh, to me, like punchline of that is everyone should go back and watch it. But like that guy's as passionate as, as it gets, but when the story hit kind of your feet and when you saw it for the first time, kind of what was your reaction to the news?
1: Uh, I mean, happy for Nat, happy for the hobby. I think it's going to be great. I just, I don't see like any negative to this, to be honest. It's just like, if there's anyone that I would trust to sort of, Take over probably the biggest company in the whole hobby, at PSA. It would be it would be Nat just because of his experience running businesses and his, and then also like his passion for the hobby is is pretty much unmatched. And uh, if you watch those two interviews, you can you can tell that like he's not in it for the money, which is which is what we need. All right, like I just kind of see the current structure of grading is more about money and like grading base guards. and hopefully we have some changes towards more of the collecting side
0: yeah and I think um that's good perspective. I definitely have had that evolution um in just following people like you over the last several months and just trying to find my footprint and place in the hobby and what makes me excited about waking up every morning and it I've definitely identified it's with kind of the collector's mindset and it's got it's put me in a position where I'm looking at everything that's out there, and this hobby is so vast, it's so diverse that Uh, age demographic goes from you know kids all the way to you know 70 year old collectors who've been doing it their whole lives I think just I think about like the crossover and the show you do with Chris every Friday and you're bringing information um, that's really helpful but then I watch those shows and I'm I'm finding value but then I think to myself that's like a to me that seems like a special group of collectors, people who are have are passionate about the hobby who tune into that, but I'm not sure like the rest of the hobby in some areas feel the same way. So I guess like an observation I've been having is just like this, all of these various types of people that are in the hobby. Um, what are your thoughts just on all the different personas, people? And is there is there anything we can be doing as a community to better align or better, I guess, maybe separate these groups to operate more effectively and efficiently.
1: Yeah, I definitely hear you on the separation. Like I can, we definitely, uh, you know, cater more to the collector. But I think the the thing that Chris and I are focused on is like um, really preaching that whole collector mindset and then attempting to use that knowledge to educate and hopefully excite people who aren't collectors and are just investors to kind of like dig in a little deeper. A great example of that is Gary V. Like he actually started Pure Investment only for the money looking at flipping base cards, And now you're actually seeing him buy stuff for his collection, right? Like he's getting more rare things he's getting into vintage. And I think that's sort of the natural progression that we, we would hope to see. So if we, as a community, just keep pushing on the, the collecting side, like eventually people will realize that one, that is the better strategy for investing, because if your goal is to invest and flip, you're going to be flipping to collectors. So if you want to know what those collectors want, you kind of have to get into that collector mindset. And two, like it's just more fun, right? You just like if you stay in this for collecting, you're just gonna stay longer and you're gonna have more fun. So as for like the content, you know, we're gonna kind of stick to what we do and hopefully just keep educating people, keep uh, bringing them in for the fun, and and hopefully they stay. You know, when they see how much fun it can be, how much you know money you can make doing it the right way, and then also you know meeting people and getting digging into the communities is the important thing for us.
0: Yeah, and I think um the collector's mindset is uh, a good one to adopt. And I think, you know, that what I see the people that are thriving are the ones that lead with passion and aren't necessarily the ones that are leading with profit. And when I say that, it's like we all want to make money in the hobby, like it's not about not making money, but I think like the intentions are important. And something you posted stuck out to me um recently where you said, you know, it's not necessarily about your collection, but the the people that you've affected, which I would say I've been someone that I followed you and have been affected where it's like, I feel like without accounts like you, I'm not sure where I'd be right now. And so I guess what what's your perspective in just the when you're operating and when you're trying to educate, um, trying to figure out like intentions of people and what they should or shouldn't be doing? Like, how do you think about it from a perspective like you and the platform you have?
1: um i mean it's just kind of like a self-reflecting moment of like a lot of people you know message me like you know they they love my collection they love the cards and and i was just kind of thinking like is that really you know like the legacy or whatever i would want to leave in the hobby and it's not it's more of like you know everything else i've kind of done in the community and things i've tried to lead and examples i've tried to set in terms of you know what we've been talking about with the collector mindset but i don't know like it's just kind of like a self-reflecting moment there wasn't really any like big thought that went into it more than that i just i think you know people you know get a little bit too into like the individual cards and the investing and flipping and they need to kind of step back and realize like the community and the hobby is what makes everything tick you know and like uh, a lot of the things that i've been successful with have been because of other collectors helping me find things or helping me consolidate or buying things for me or whatever it is like you can't do any of this by yourself there's not really anybody who's just sort of Buying, buying, buying on eBay only, and that's it. And they, you know they're just all by themselves. So I think it's in order to really be successful, you kind of have to always step back and like think about the rest of the community around you.
0: I love that, and and it's something like it's a it's a me- mentality that I try to bring to the hobby. And I know there's a lot of people that think this way too, but it's just this mentality of like giving giving back to the community, and um the more you give back, the more relationships you're gonna get, and then and with that, the more information you're going to get from people who understand what you collect and what you like, and then they'll point you in the right direction. So it's kind of like this hobby ripple effect that you get in a way by just being a good person and trying to help other people out.
1: Yeah. Especially when it comes to selling, selling for me right now is just, it's pretty easy just because of, I I feel like all the like work I've put in upfront over the last four years, five years in terms of building the community and knowing what people like and just sort of like being in the hobby. I just, it's selling is just it, like Chris always says, the cards sell themselves, but if you do have the network and community in place, it just becomes that much easier. So if nothing else, like if you're trying to do the flip game, if you want to actually be successful selling on Instagram and on these platforms, you're going to have to like get into the community that way.
0: That That's uh, I love that. And I, I feel actually the same way ways where when I first started, it was buy, buy, buy. And then I I realized that you need to consolidate to really get to where you want to be, and we're gonna talk more about consolidation. But like, I, for me, it's you know I I've, I'm having maybe more fun ever selling cards than than I am than <laughs> buying cards, which is like a revelation, um, dude. I put up just because like I'm on this like Peyton Manning craze of like wanting his rare and scarce cards and rookie cards, but like you know. I will say, I think they're affordable right now, but the, you know they're gonna continue to go up. But my mentality is, as I'm reflecting on this, I look at my stack stack of slabs, if you will, and I'm looking and I'm seeing all this like, John Morant I have. And it was like, I love John Morant. I think he's a hell of a player, but like this guy is a guy that the market really wants right now. And this is a guy I know I can sell and get 2X, 3X profit of what I paid for the, for him. So I feel like, I felt like, I'm doing myself a disservice by not selling him and trying to get those profits. Do you go through that at all Is when you're entering your sales process?
1: Yeah, it's just, I'm laughing because like, it's like the natural progression for every collector. They just like, <laughs> buy, buy, buy. They don't want to sell and they're really afraid. And then they do sell and they're just like addicted to it. And I can like <laughs> tell that you're in that phase. Um, and it's not that you're like addicted to making money. It's sort of like the culmination of all the work you've done and like selling it to someone, shipping it, getting the money in your account, it's all like this process thing that builds up where you're just like, you know, it's like the the, the final thing that where you actually sell the card. And it just feels good.
0: Yeah. I'm just like, for me, it's the, with the John ja Morant. Uh, yeah. So I guess, I guess, I guess first it, with the job ja cards that I'm selling, I think I've like gotten to this place where it's like, if they're not serial numbered, if they're not like, Short print, like I don't want to have anything to do with them, you know. You're like, Josh is laughing at me right now. I think, I think, I think he sees this
1: all the time. No, it's, it's again, it's like I I remember exactly in my hobby journey, like where you are. And like two years from now, you're going to be saying, if it's not more than like a $50,000 card, (laughs) I want nothing to do with it. (laughs) It's just like you go from like, I just want to be a part of it. I'm having fun. I want to buy stuff to like, I want rare stuff to like, it needs to be super rare and of a certain player to like, it's got to be super rare, super high end. It's got to be like the best card, you know, I could possibly get. It's just, it's funny because like, you just, uh, you become numb to like everything below as you move up, as you move up the ladder, as it were. Uh, So it's kind of funny to hear like, I've got these job, like uh, two months ago, three months ago, you are like, oh, I love collecting job. I'm going to do this forever. And then now you're like, I got to sell all these (laughs) jobs.
0: Well, dude, it's so like, I remember distinctly, it was the, I bought the uh, Disco Variation John Morant Prism BGS95. I bought it like around my birthday as like a birthday present to myself. And it was like, you know, I think I bought it for like two fifty, And I just, I hadn't even thought about selling it. And then I'm looking at the John Morant market before the season tips. and I realized that card hasn't sold in a while. And I'm like, this is going to be a card the market is going to want. And, and it is, like, dude, the watchers, like, throw it up on eBay. It's it's insane. So it's like, I'm learning. It's like, if you, if you don't, like, these aren't pieces that, like, you want to keep in your PC forever. Like, you got to just let go, right? Because it'll take you to a new place where you're going to go get lost and have a bunch of fun.
1: Yeah, the biggest mistake I see is people holding too long and just thinking like, Oh, if I just wait till the season starts or I wait another month when he has a good game or, you know, I wait for him to win the next championship when you're already staring at profits. Like I just, I always just err on the side of like take the profit and and move it into the next thing. And you know, if you, if you truly believe in yourself, in this hobby, like take that profit and do it four more times before that event would have occurred if you would have held that first thing. Right. And just sort of like, bet on yourself to turn that profit into something else, something better, you know, potentially more volume of different things and continue on.
0: Yeah. And and I think, um, that, that is something that I've certainly learned uh, along the way. And I think one thing that I'm trying to tell people right now is that like, don't, don't worry about like the nitty gritty margins and the fact that like, maybe if you got five X on something earlier this year, like the chance of that happening again might not be as good and you shouldn't strive for that. But like if that you're going to get money and profit from that card that you can get, then go pursue another card that was outside of your range. Like just do it and don't look back.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I sold you that Kyler silver, I think the market on it was like 2,400 and I sold it to you for like 21 or 22. I can't remember the exact figures, but it was like a couple hundred below. Yeah. And it was just because I felt like I'm just going to sell this real quick, take the money and go do something else as opposed to, you know, taking three weeks to get exactly the dollar I want. And then, and then ended up making you happy. And it just, it just sort of like made sense. And I get like the nitty gritty to me of what you're saying is like, don't get bogged down in like the, the last few dollars and cents and the shipping to the perfect person and waiting for like the perfect eBay time to list and just sort of like let it fly when that, right. especially when like there is like a strong buyer that's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm here I'm willing to offer you this. Like, just let it fly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that card. It's like it's at like twenty five hundred right now. So it's about like about the same price that we were talking about the time of um sale. But w- one of the things I want to get into because I know this is important and it seems like it's a hot hot topic of people that are in their evolution is just like the topic of consolidation. Obviously. I think that's something that's near and dear to your heart and something I have been watching you do for a while. Um, you, first of all, if, if people didn't catch your recent live stream of your new card that you just got, <laughs> that, that this is, I'm going to definitely make sure this gets on IGTV. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> tell, tell the people listening at home what you're holding up right now. It's the
1: 2003 exquisite limited logos, LeBron rookie card. Rookie patch auto, and the the cool thing about this is the patch is actually game worn from his rookie year.
0: Have you figured out what the like part of the jersey the patch is from yet? Yeah, like this the, is like the it's the L right here on Cavaliers. God, that is such a dope card. What since you've had it, you've had some time with this now. How how are you feeling about it? Um, I mean,
1: it's in my you know top four cards, and so I mean, it's get to this point, and you just sort of like. I, I love all my cards because because I consolidate so much like everything in my PC it just has like a almost like an obsessive attachment to it and I've consolidated so much and spent so much time that there's really like no more cards that I feel like I have to have or there's no more like uh, there's not many more levels I feel like I need to go up or can't work I think there's uh, there's definitely room for improvement but like I'm just sort of at peace a little bit and like this zen feeling of having a almost everything I've ever wanted and, and a lot more. So I'm, I'm just happy, you know?
0: Uh, so you made a, I can't remember what you, where you said this on, but you said something, maybe it was when you did like the, the, the reveal of this card, but you said something to the fact of like, everything else I've been doing has just been like, kind of like a distraction to me buying LeBron James cards. Cause that's what you're really passionate about. Uh, maybe talk a little bit, unpack that a little bit, because Perfect. I think that's important.
1: Well, the consolidation process for me now, like I was sort of like alluding to earlier and half joking about, was like only like the really big cards sort of get me excited to work towards. So like now that the they're so expensive, I I, I literally have to spend like an entire year, uh, you know, working towards one big card and consolidating. So I've been I've been doing it that pretty much the whole year, like starting in January. Um, so I just sort of like work through different markets. Like I was, I was buying football for a while and and buy, and I always like buy stuff within those markets that I enjoy even like cards. I don't mind holding for a couple months because I think they're fun. So now I was buying Mahomes and Kyler Murray and like a bunch of cool football stuff. I've moved into receivers. And then, you know, as I like build up a lot of that stuff, you know, some of it started to go up in value. So I'll move some of it. And then I usually end up keeping like one or two out of those, systems that i work through or those like timelines just to like remember what i had and some of the fun things like i'll keep an rpa or a gold prism or something fun like that uh and in the football case i kept like you know 10 or so um but then as i like start to sell that stuff it's like man i've i've had a lot of stuff over the year and over this year and if i just keep selling and selling i'm getting to the point now where i'm getting closer to having enough to get something really big that i really want which is lebron and it's just sort of like you look up and you're like, holy crap, I have like a huge pile of stuff from this whole year that I've flipped and sold and upgraded through. And now all of a sudden it's time to cash it all in for one big, big one. And then it's just like a frenzy of trying to sell, trying to sell like 50 things from my four previous ventures, plus having to sell like two or three from my like main LeBron PC. And it's just like all trying to get the math to work out where it where I get one giant one. So it's kind of a fun end of the year, like celebration of the whole year and kind of looking back on what I had bought and sold and stuff. And so it's kind of like a fun year long thing that ends up with one big prize.
0: I I love that. And I think like when I I hear you talk and describe it, the one thing that like stands out to me is that there's so much in the hobby that seems transactional and people are just waiting for money to enter their PayPal accounts because they hit on big cards. But like, you're legitimately like putting in the work an entire year to end up with a card like that. And I think like that's such an important nugget that like, and something I've learned in this year is that like stuff doesn't just come to you. Like you really have to set your goals and put in the work to buy the cards you think are going to increase, sell the cards at a specific point. Um, What are your thoughts just in in what commentary on uh, the hobby and just this mindset of like going out and doing the work in order to get the cards you want?
1: I think it's everything, man. Like if, if someone asked me
0: what's like the number one bit of advice for me to
1: be successful in the hobby, I would just tell them like time and effort. I think it's just, it's everything, right? Like if you, if you listen to Gary V it's like, that's like all he preaches is just, you know, do the work and put in the time and spend the time on the process because like, if you just go into it half-hearted and, and you don't actually care about it, or you're not putting, you know, five hours a day or whatever you whatever you're was necessary to, to be successful. Like if you're not putting in that amount of time, like you're just, you're just flirting with it. And you're never actually going to be good at it. It's like you're never going to be good at something that you don't practice for 10,000 hours or whatever that statistic is. It's the same for the hobby. It's the same exact thing. I mean, you have to learn the market through effort, time, practice. You can't, it doesn't just, you know, you can't just like read some book, and all of a sudden they like, oh,
0: buy football at this point and sell at this. Like if it was that easy, you know, everyone would be doing it. Totally. And uh, going back to the LeBron exquisite example, was that like, let's say you said this was a body of work that was the culmination of an entire year at the, like at the beginning of 2020, um, were you like, I'm going out and I'm getting this LeBron exquisite or was it like. You were just buying and working in these markets, and then you realized it was the point where you were pretty damn close to being able to obtain this car. What? How did? What was your mindset there?
1: I think it's the latter. You know, I don't really have like one card that I fixate on for that long of time. That's that would be like quite the journey. Uh, If someone has the resolve to be able to 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 focus on one for the beginning of the year to the end of the year, that's pretty impressive. I think it's more of like after I'd gotten the LeBron RPA last year, uh, I was just sort of like I gotta start something new i gotta figure out like what's my next path and it was kind of football mostly at that point and a couple other like basketball things but it's just kind of like starting fresh starting something new and then you know as i worked through some of those i kind of got back and like you said i got to the point where i was like oh i do you know i do have enough to kind of do what i did last year and consolidate again so i don't know it's like i'm never really thinking that far ahead. i guess i'm more like in the moment of what i'm excited about at that time and uh you know, usually at the end of of some six month journey of something, I I usually am like, okay, I need a new LeBron or something.
0: Totally. Um what I also want to touch on this in terms of like buying big cards. And this could be kind of outside the consolidation topic, or maybe it's a part of it, but like how big of a role does buying cards and getting them graded and selling those graded cards? Because I know you've done a lot of PSA reveals. How, how, how big of a role does that play in kind of your overall process?
1: It's a much smaller role than it used to be. Um, I would say like two years ago, I like exclusively was buying raw and grading and, and selling. Cause I would like the timeline for it made a lot of sense. I could get stuff cheap, raw, grade it, get it back in a couple of weeks to a month and then sell it for like three X, like immediately, you know, based on like the gem rates and different like, uh, ratios and mathematics that worked out. But like today that, you know, that number is cut down way, uh, it's cut down quite a bit because of turnaround times It's cutting into like selling windows. It's cutting into like, you know, being able to turn it around quicker and spend the profits on something else. Uh, the grading is a little bit harder in my opinion right now. Like I'm not getting as many tens as I used to it's harder to buy raw cards that have a good successful gem rate because more people are doing that. So there's just less to go around of the gem stuff. It's basically like the guy who pulls it at this point is like the one who immediately grades it. So like if someone pulls it and they're not grading it, it's probably because there's something wrong with it. You know, like um, there's just a lot of factors to that to to where now, like I'm buying gem mint stuff and just like playing the, the timeline game or playing like, a game of who I think is undervalued. It's just kind of like the adjustment I've had to make. I still do a little bit of grading, but it's just harder, man. Like I used to be able to buy, I used to buy like a lot of like $200 to $500 raw cards, grade them and sell them for, you know, thousand to 1500. That was sort of my sweet spot. And I would do that over and over. And I would do that with like rare prism stuff, colored prism, but like all that stuff's already graded. And like when it does come up on eBay, it goes for like 90% of a BGS nine five anyways. Cause it's just like, the margins are just getting more and more thin and it just doesn't make as much sense for me.
0: No, I hope everyone took notes on that one because I think that is um something that's super helpful and insightful. And it's similar to my mindset and how I've evolved where, you know, I I bought a bunch of raw cards and actually probably did better on them than I expected. Didn't I miss some too, but the um my mindset is that like now, if there are raw cards on eBay, like something's wrong with them, especially if they're over a certain, if they've been in the market, like if it's someone, something from like the 2000s or something else, it's like, my question is why, well, why hasn't this been graded already? You know? So I think that's just important. And like, I think it's just as big of a gamble than just going out and ripping packs to like go try to run your operation off of buying raw You have to be really good. You have to be really good at like you have to have a good eye. And I just think there's a lot of opportunity, like you said, with people are already doing this, so there's a competition. There's a game within the game.
1: You could still be pretty successful at it if you maybe like if you wait for a new release. Let's just say like Prison Football just came out, and you wait like a month or two after the prices settle down because people are usually really excited and having to recoup, and like the the prices are just inflated when stuff gets released. So if you wait a couple months. And then try to pick through like what hasn't been graded yet and try to find sellers that, you know, aren't grading cards potentially. And there's a little bit of a window right there to buy raw and then wait six months to get it back. And hopefully, this, the timing works out in your favor where you're buying and six months later, it's a good time to sell. But uh, there's a couple windows that are still available right there. It's just not that many.
0: Totally. And I'm, uh, dude, I'm like a huge, I know we've connected over this just when we were in our football pursuits just huge football fan. And it's like, dude, I want to, I want, I want to buy a box, a hobby box of prism, but I just like, can't get myself to do it. But then you've got like release day on Friday and you've got everyone showing off their Tua's and their Herberts everywhere. And then Herbert goes and has a stinker of a game on Sunday. And it's like, okay, so what's that do with the Herber, Herbert Herbert market now? So I I don't know I find it so interesting uh, about how quickly like a product can get released the price of it the hype behind it and then like these performances like not not all the, like people have come at me like and they're like oh like how are you feeling about your Kyler investment it's like dude I like Kyler Murray and I like watching him play like yeah th- like the Cardinals aren't a Super Bowl team like he's an exciting player to watch and they've had some tough games so it's like I don't know, people are so like reactionary about every game and everything that happens and I think I don't know that's that's something just in general in the hobby that's kind of turned me off recently in some of my interactions.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're right like the the hobby overreaction. I mean, that translates to regular football. We, you know, we have overreaction Monday in real football. That's not something specific to cards, but I mean, because of that you just kind of have to adjust, right? Like if you're buying somebody who's not named LeBron, Michael Jordan, Kobe, Wilt, Brady, Manning, you know like these like ultra uber goats of the games that either have already retired or they're like, you know, already established what they what they are. If you're buying anyone else, like just get ready for the roller coaster, like just prepare for it. It's not ever going to be all up or all down. There's just it's just not possible. There's no player in any sport in any history, even if you take Le- Michael Jordan, who has this like pristine record, if we would like move his timeline into current day, he'd be like the most hyped ever rookie. He would have tanked his second year because he was out with injuries. He would have like slowly went down over time as he was getting beat by the Pistons. And then all of a sudden he rises. Right. So you can't ever just totally yep. look at this tiny window of Kyler Murray struggling in his second year with the second year head coach and think this is the end, right? Like there's going to be something else where it makes him go up and then he's going to go down and you just kind of have to like prepare for it.
0: I love that so much. I dude, I've been thinking about that and I've, I've said it a few times, but just with like Peyton Manning and just like how he was the best, you know, regular season quarterback ever. And then struggled until he got his first super bowl. And I like, look at like a guy like Giannis, it's like a similar situation, but it's like on the surface, you like, if you you gotta just like be, or if you're a fan of these players and you think they're as great as they are, like buy their cards and don't let anyone else tell you one thing or the others. So that's kind of, my my perspective on it, but I, I want to get into basketball because obviously basketball runs the hobby and it's just insane. It, first of all, the fact that like, it just seems like yesterday that LeBron was walking away with his fourth championship. And uh, you know, now basketball training camps are happening. And then just what's happening just in terms of the sports card market and players and hype and all this Stuff around second year guys is is crazy, and like I'm mind you, I was coming back into the hobby when this was happening like with at when they were rookies, so now I'm seeing it again, and it seems like it's even intensified even more yeah. um what what's your perspective I, am I right in saying that? um yeah. what are your thoughts? I mean there's probably like twice as many people in the hobby as there
1: was for the last NBA preseason right, and so you just you're just gonna have like twice as much noise, twice as much everything amplified and twice as much hype on across the board and everything. And it's it's true, man. This is like the craziest build up to a regular season sport that I can remember. Um And I've been through quite a few of different sports and I've seen like the hype. And I would just, I don't know, man, like I would definitely caution people going into this year. Like it just, everyone's just so excited. But we've had the same feeling going into every preseason where like there was one preseason where I was like, this is Brandon Ingram's year and I'm going to buy a ton of Brandon Ingram. And I bought him like right now. And I lost a lot of money on that because like the season started and he wasn't like an early season MVP candidate and like his prices went down. And I think that's going to happen for like, literally everyone except lebron and like Giannis and luca and even luca is pretty risky in my opinion because if these if these guys come into the season and they don't start lighting up the world uh you know we just saw it with football who who met expectations in football russell wilson and aaron Rodgers and russell wilson's like going down right now because he's he's like struggling So just like i said earlier just be careful get ready to ride the wave like it's not going to be preseason's here and everyone's going to meet expectations and Zion's going to be the face of the NBA tomorrow. And like Trey's going to hit 53s in his first game. Like, it's just, those are the hype and the expectations, but the reality is like, they're going to have bad games, right? They're they're young. A lot of those guys are going to struggle. Luca might struggle even because they don't have Horzingas uh, yet. And, like the Mavs might lose a few games early and people will panic. Like, we just don't know. So just be careful.
0: Totally. And, and like with like Zion, it was that was the talk ever like back, you know, at the beginning of the year, Zion this, Zion that, Zion, and then some jaw, but mostly Zion stuff. Even when he was out and he wasn't playing. Now, man, dude, I can't open like it's crazy. Like I thought, you know, and it is. I thought like this is gonna be just Luka Luka Luka. But like, no, it's like Trey Young, like madness. Like everywhere I turn, and I I I don't know, like, yeah, he he the guy can score 50 points every night. Um, yeah, they surrounded him with pieces in Atlanta yeah they have some young guys but like to me like there's so much risk and uncertainty around him and the card prices that we're seeing right now and it almost seems like people are just buying him because they have like some like FOMO like oh this guy's buying Trey so I should go buy Trey um and I think like when you see that that's kind of when things go off the rails a little bit so like my my take is like when you like i don't know i tend to stay away when i see that much activity on a player what what do you think
1: yeah t- totally i mean your instincts are right um he's probably the most bomo hyped player there is right now and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he hasn't played in so dang long like we we just have no idea there's just it's all it's 100% speculation we're just assuming that based on what he did last year that it's going to be better because their team is better and maybe you know, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe all these new players actually take away some of his stats. You know, there's just, they added so much that like his stats could go down and their team, you know, isn't going to be like the one or two seed. Where does that put them? If they're, if they're at best three or four seed in the East, what kind of sustainability do we have on these types of prices for the third or fourth seed in the in the what in the East? Look at last year's four and five seeds, the heat pacers. There's nobody on those teams that has like crazy hype and crazy like potential for the hobby. So. Yeah, I would, I would definitely caution. I actually see a lot of people selling Trey right now. I'm seeing a lot of people trying to dump at these insane inflated prices and I don't really blame them. And I think you're going to start seeing people undercutting each other next, you know, people trying to get out and like take their profits where they can right now, and it'll start undercutting and supply will increase and we'll see the normal, like supply and demand work itself out for guys like that. And, uh, I expect his prices to go down pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm that's kind of my my same reaction um and perspective. Do you one of the things that I've noticed a lot of about in the a lot going on in the hobby and it seems like it's amplifying and it's getting worse. It's probably because NBA starting up, but it there's like there there's a you know, a group whether it's YouTube, you know, podcast, Instagram, whatever, but just like content creators to me And I don't want to knock content creators in the hobby because I'm a content creator. Josh, you're a content creator. But just like, it just seems like the whole content creator game has gotten like worse. And like, I I put a note out this morning and I, you know, I tagged you in it, but just like letting people know, like, these are like the platforms that like I trust and I turn to and listen to, to gather information to help inform what I'm doing. Um, just as an awareness piece. Um, but it seems like there's just so much crap out there and like people that like are approaching their content, like they're like, you know, NBA scouts and they've got all this knowledge, which <laughs> is like, I mean, come on, like, dude, like I get de- like, I'll post and make fun of like, not a player, but a like a guy doing something and people come and attack me. Like I'm like, like, I'm a, like, Posting bad about the player, and it's like it's not about the player, but it's about this content creator like promoting this without any reason. So I know that's something I'm sure you've seen. What like what can we do like as a hobby to like? Because my big here's my biggest fear. I'm on a little bit of a rant here, but my biggest fear is that like new people that like I was this year when I got back in the hobby are going to enter these ramps into these people's platforms and they're going to follow blindly and then they're going to go listen to them and they're going to end up losing a lot of money and not contribute or be a part of the hobby anymore. So I said a lot there, but just like what's your reaction to all this noise that's in the hobby and like what can we be doing as a community to make it better?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like the toughest problem to solve, at least for me right now, because you're you're right, like a a lot of the content is really like the basis for me, the line, I guess the line for me is like, are you trying to predict things or are you not? And if you're trying to predict things and you can even, have, you know, criticize me on predicting Trey Young prices to go down. And I think that's fair to criticize me on that because like my basis isn't to do things like that. And so any content creator whose basis or, or foundation is to make predictions on stuff going up or down. Is the one you should avoid at all costs. Those are the ones where I, you, you know, you immediately turn the other way and try to find something else. Because as we've said throughout this whole interview, is that the success for the hobby for for individuals is like getting into the hobby and, and learning for yourself and spending the time and all these things we talked about this whole interview. And so, like when you see podcasts talking about stuff like we are right now, or you see people, Talking about like niches in the hobby that they enjoy, or things that they they look out for that are fun, or if your content's based on the community or ways to learn and improve, like these are the things you need to be looking for. So that's like the line that I would say anyone listening to this of like that's what you're looking for in the content game, as far as like. So the dangerous side though is that the guys who make the picks are the ones who have the higher SEO because they have more clickbaity titles, so therefore (laughs) they get more. Uh, volume into, into their viewers, right? They have more people watching it. Therefore they have more influence. Therefore that thing spreads more than others. So that's the problem that I just don't, I don't know how we can solve this. And this is, that problem is not just in sports cards, dude. That's like, not. If, you've, if you've seen the social dilemma, that, that problem is a massive problem in all of society, like where the clickbaity, like super polar Crazy opinions are the things that people are digging more and more into, and not the like same thing in the middle of just like let's do the right thing and be a a kind person. (laughs) Right? It's like we're deviating away from that.
0: I went on a lot long rant, but like, let me react. Let me react to that real quick because right before we got on and talked, my buddy, which I I know everyone listens to the show, and it maybe I need to, uh, but my buddy sent me a uh, a link to like a clip from the Joe Rogan show with the Black Keys. And basically they were talking about like how their record label wanted them to like start bundling, um, bundling their album, digital album sales with their, uh, concert tickets and how then the, this is what they were going to do to manipulate it. And then this kickback would go to Warner and blah, blah, blah. And the black keys were just like, fuck that. Like we're not doing that. And they're like, well, unless you want a number one record, like this is what you have to do. And so like, it's all like this digital game of SEO manipulation, like you were talking about. And you're right, you hit it on the head. It's not just sports cards, it's everywhere. But it's like, it's an infestation. And it just seems like it's uh, glaring in sports cards because it's something that like is so fun and it's so pure and we're all trying to have a good time. And people are just using digital manipulation to take advantage of other people's. And that's kind of where I throw my hands up and I'm like, I want people to stay and I want this to be fun. And like people that are trying to take advantage of other people, like I want, I'm going to call you out because like, I can't take this anymore. i I'm at my limit.
1: Yeah. I think the, as you were talking, I was kind of like trying to think of something smart to say, which happens sometimes. But I think one thing that kind of sticks out to me is like the advice I would have to someone is just like, get into the community and meet the people. Because as I, Uh, Even like in politics and stuff, once you actually like talk to people, you realize that everyone kind of is in the middle, and the the content that they consume is on the left and right. So they they sort of like, as they're consuming the content, they move left and right. But as you like get more human interaction and more like community-driven things, you usually sort of like meet in the middle naturally because you're just you're less likely to to tell someone to f off on the uh, opposite side of you if you're in front of them, right? You're in the community with them and you're like uh, talking with them. So I think getting to actually like meet people in the community, I think is going to be your, your best bet in terms of, you know, reducing the noise around you, of the clickbaity stuff. Cause it's just like you and I talking now, we're sort of meeting in the middle on things. And even if we talk to some of these content creators who are way left or way right on things, we'd probably meet in the middle of sanity and say like, yeah, well I say that in my videos, but my actual goal is to like, you know, increase the community. And it's like, yeah, we all want, we, we kind of all want generally the same thing, same for politics. Everyone generally wants to be happy. They want other people to be happy. They don't want to like negatively affect people around them if
0: they can help it. Like these are all the same things that people want. I didn't think we were going to be uh, uh, drawing parallels with politics and, and sports cards, content creators, but it definitely makes sense. And I think you're right. Um, before I let you out of here, I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to know just in terms of like a couple of things to go, but first, like What's in store for Card Ladder? I know you spent a lot of time, work, have spent a lot of time this year improving Card Ladder and making it just an awesome platform. So I'm curious, like, where your area of focus is with Card Ladder and also to your channel, Cardboard Chronicles.
1: Yeah, I've been putting most of my time into Card Ladder over Cardboard Chronicles. I wish I could, you know, I had time to do both infinitely,
0: and maybe I
1: will have more time for that in the future. But right now, I'm focused on the mobile app for Card Ladder, which I'm excited about. I think it's going to really increase engagement with people to be able to use a native app instead of having to go to a website. It, it, there's just tons of statistics that show people like vastly uh, um, would prefer to have a native app. And the, the experience is going to be better. It's smoother. It's nicer. So I'm excited about that. And Chris and I are working on some card ladder content. Uh, we're sort of in the works on that right now. So there will be some more fun content. And it's again, it's going to be the same kind of stuff that we've been talking about. Like Card ladder to us is the tool that you use, like the software to help you navigate things and automate things and make things simpler for you. But the card ladder content is still Chris and I behind that. And it's still going to be more about the community and collecting and finding grails and consolidating and that kind of thing. So card ladder is the tool that we, you know, we hope to like people can use to, you know, as their tool to to take some of the things that these lessons that we're trying to impart and and use that. to to help them
0: that's awesome I, i am excited uh for more card ladder updates and just it's a testament to you and chris's work over the past and christina to everyone involved i it just it's fun to see a whole community of people that just put the card ladder graphs up in their instagram feed and it constantly like it just from a year's time like everybody I know <laughs> uses card ladder and like, that's how we communicate. So I think that's been fun to watch a company like uh card ladder take off the ground. Um, final question before I let you go, like what going into, uh, tw- and this isn't like, give me your picks, but going into next year, the hobby's been insane. What do you have any like big, bold predictions about like some, something or things or uh, things that might happen? to change the landscape of the hobby we're operating in?
1: Yeah, we're going to see more, uh, I don't want to say like big business, but like bigger entities enter the hobby and like sort of swoop up bigger ideas or companies or we talked about a little bit on crossover, but like purchases of smaller companies and we're just going to sort of see things like more uh, efficient. Like we're going to see things improve. I think we're going to see like grading times come down. We'll see like some of these companies get weeded out that aren't successful. And it'll like, there's just enough attention on it right now from like big money people and big money companies that like, they're going to come in and and sort of like wrangle it a little bit. And there's going to be some some big changes I would see on that front. And that's just going to like increase the pool of potential people to enter the market. So it's honestly, it's probably just going to get crazier as we keep going.
0: That's what I'm in. I'm expecting just more bombshells to be dropped to shake the whole hobby. But the the thing I've learned, you just got to be adaptable and roll with it and continue to find your lane and have fun. Um, Josh, this was fun. Thank you, everyone. Go check out uh, Josh on IG at Cardboard Chronicles and go go hit subscribe if you're not already on his YouTube page. Thanks, Thanks, Josh. Thanks. My biggest takeaway from that conversation is that it is hard work to get the cards that you want. And you can't just sit back and react. You got to be proactive and put in the work. Get your hands dirty if you want to obtain big cards. I learned a ton on that episode. Make sure you go to Instagram if you're not already. Follow Cardboard Chronicles. Also hit the subscribe button on his Uh, YouTube page. I just love it when the conversations drop. They're so fun and insightful. Hit that subscribe button on Stacking Slabs. Tell a friend if you enjoy what you're hearing. Leave me a review. I do appreciate all the people who've left reviews recently. That means a ton. Make sure you take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Enjoy the freaking weekend and I'll be back next week.